Welcome to the first Celtics Life podcast of the 2017-18 season. Basketball has officially started and it's been the exact opposite of what we expected for this campaign. So without waiting anymore, let's jump straight into it. Justin, here with uh, Justin Quinn. What went through your head when you saw Gordon Hayward go down? Obviously, that's the biggest news right now, but went down with that leg injury. What was the first thought when you saw that happen? No lie. I, okay, so I have really lucid dreams, like lucid dreams that are real enough where I can kind of control what goes on in them. And if I don't like them, I can start them over. And I can't really control what happens when I have these dreams, like per se, like everything. I can just control me and how I interact with it. And the moment that it happened, I literally questioned to myself, is this actually happening? Is this a dream? And I know that sounds stupid, but it just seems so bizarre. It just didn't seem possible. You know, everything, everything that happened, our, our top free agent, this, this guy that was pushing us into the contender conversation, alongside Kyrie Irving, sure, like we made an, a bunch of other great moves this offseason, but like that, this guy who, who was the headliner, the top free agent this summer, goes down within six minutes of opening tip to the NBA season. It was surreal. It, it's, it's unbelievable. And it, it, I just, I mean, I, so I missed those first six minutes. I got back home. I was trying to rush home from work because I, I was really upset that I was missing any of this game. And that's when my phone started blowing up and it was you. You and Mark and Luis, who were all like, how the, what is going on? This can't be real. This can't be possible. And I, I didn't know what was going on. So I, I was turning on my, my PlayStation to watch it. And I, I was, you, I mean, you read my message. I was like, what, the, what are you guys talking about? Like, what, what is happening? And I figured you guys were just trying to screw with me or something. Or like, I don't know. Yeah, you thought we were kidding. But then, then you, I think Mark said, Gordon Hayward's career is over. There's no way he can get past. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I can't even fathom what words I spoke and then I kind of just turned it on and saw this kind of chaos of players surrounding Hayward and a look on like they weren't showing replays and I was like that means it's yeah. bad you know that it's bad when that's what happened I will say that they did a really good job in how they handled that I, I, I almost puked when when it came back on again later in, in the game and they only showed it for a second and other than that of, apart from the initial camera on it they did a very good job with, with how they talked about it, how respectful they were. I mean, as far as if you have to broadcast something like that, I think they handle it about as good as you can in a live situation. Unfortunately, they've had practice lately with the Kevin Ware injury, the Louisville Kevin Ware injury within Paul the last George. four years, the Paul George injury that happened in Las Vegas. Yeah, and those are very similar. The leg injuries that are just so catastrophic and so just stomach-churning. And I, it, I can't imagine what those players on the court were going through, having seen it happen. And there was a, a post on Instagram that zoomed in to just the Cavs bench. And so, I mean, that's because that was above where, where it happened, yeah. as far if you're looking on the screen. And just zoomed in on that and didn't show his leg, but just showed their reaction to illustrate how just gruesome it was. And it, that, honestly, for me... I had seen the replay by that point, but for me, that really, that hammered the point home of just, this is just an awful, just freak injury that, and then, then you can go into just how this is just so awful for what seems like such a great guy and that this was going to be his season. He was really excited about this season. And then this, this happens literally with the first quarter of, of tip off of the NBA season is just, 
awful. So for people who don't know what is going on with, with Hayward's leg, what ended up happening was the initial image of his leg being at an angle it just shouldn't be at was actually not part of the fracture. It was a dislocation and it was apparently a clean break. So Mark's initial fear that what we were dealing with was a potentially career-ending injury. And we don't know yet, so I'm not going to say it isn't, but it looks about as good of a situation as one could possibly be in. There was evidently no ligament damage, clean break. He went through surgery. It was successful. So far, everything we've been hearing has been very, very, very good, about as good as we could possibly get, really. Very positive news, considering the, the circumstances. Yeah. And... And there's so much to talk about with this, whether it's there was the video tribute uh, before the Bucks game where Hayward just kind of he, he would just record. I think it was from the hospital where he recorded just this kind of statement. And, you know, just he got this extreme. Obviously, I mean, he's only been a Celtic for technically only like three months now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, three months as far as like since he's been like welcomed by Celtics fans, but only five and a half minutes as far as an actual player for the Celtics. And so the fact that he did talk about afterwards, the reception that that video got, and he saw the reaction of the fans and how much that meant to him. And it's, again, I just can't really explain how, how this is just so upsetting for what seems like such a great guy who was really so excited about this season who finally was reuniting with with Brad Stevens, who had such high expectations. And he's basically going to have an entire season stripped away from him because of just a really horrible, horrible accident. There is, and it's just really upsetting. There is some some rumbling coming from, from various locations, including, depending on how you, how you parse uh, Brad Stevens' words, there, it seems like they are thinking about the five-month threshold, which would... You know, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying anyone is explicitly saying five months is where it is going to be him coming back. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen that. Yeah, it's like March is what I keep hearing. And it's, it's rumblings. You're right. It's not something nobody's come forward and said March is when we're expecting him to hopefully make a return. But it, it, there's these rumblings of there's a possibility that five months or four months is, is what this timetable looks like. And that puts him back right in the, the midst of that playoff push. And then you have to kind of question of, can he return from something like this to the level that he was playing with Utah last year, his first all-star no, season? he can't. Can he do I mean, that's just all these. Yeah. That's, so it's, yeah. And so that's, that's where you kind of question these things. And then we have seen really great stuff and we'll, we'll talk about this more later, but we have seen really great stuff. From the guys who've been filling his his place, Jason Tatum has been playing significantly better than I think anyone would have expected for a guy who's suddenly playing like thirty six minutes a game after being drafted five months ago. So so far, he's looking like a very 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 strong candidate for Rookie of the Year, barring a big surprise in terms of like another person being assigned to take those minutes away from him. Yeah, well, Lonzo Ball also, if he plays the way he did in Game Two. Then Lonzo Ball would be, I would say, a heavy favorite. If he plays the way that he played in game one, I would say there's no worries for Jason Tatum. But also, I mean, J Josh Jackson, Markel Fultz, I think, is honestly going to be a bust this year. And I may I may be too presumptive in saying that, but I'm, I'm not that high on Markel Fultz right now. 
we can get into that in a minute, but yeah, I mean, sorry, he's, yeah, he's totally. dealing with some injuries. No, totally. It's, it's, it's relevant. So it, yeah, let's, let's continue with, with this Hayward stuff then. So the, the March timeline, I, I, I don't think he should come back. And this is something I was saying, cause I went through this roller coaster of emotions from basically 6.30 PM on Tuesday all the way to like halftime where you know, obviously I was really psyched about basketball starting back up. I was really pumped for the season. I was trash talking with my Cavs friend back and forth about this stuff. And I was like, we're going to win. We're going to kill you guys. And I, while I was looking at my phone on the drive back home, I was looking at the score. We were doing really well. We were up like three or something. And I was like, ha, we don't need like no worries. We're going to win the championship. Really psyched. Then this Gordon Hayward thing happens. And I just suddenly dropped into this like bottomless pit of despair and awfulness. And then we started to surge back in the third quarter. And then I was talking to you guys about this in, in our group chat. This takes the pressure off of the Celtics this season. The pressure that we had to contend. We had to be fighting for a spot in the, in the championship series. We had to be at least reaching six games with the Cavaliers to prove that Danny Ainge made the right decisions this, this past summer. And this takes that pressure off. This gives the Celtics the opportunity to grow together, something that we were so concerned about, whether they would be able to gel. And this gives them the chance to do that without this pressure of having to get all this stuff done. So I think it's it's really, it's a blessing in disguise from that capacity because it doesn't, and, and take that obviously not. an aggressive term. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's, that's important. Yeah, and that's I, I guess that's a very crummy way to put it. But I think it's a very, I think this, does a lot for the Celtics long term. Obviously, short term, this is awful, and it's miserable, and it's 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 just I, I hate it. But I, I was looking at it from that perspective of trying to find something to to grasp onto, and I think that's my best takeaway that I've taken so far. No, it's a, it's a very legitimate one. In in a very big way, this will go a long way to accelerating the development of of. Two number three picks who otherwise might have languished in the rotation much more than they would have on another team, like on a team that would have normally drafted a number three pick. So that does have a lot of value, in my opinion. And, you know, I don't want to be like a mega homer here, but this team is still, you know, I'm not going to say that they are contending, but they have some tools at their disposal and potentially good luck at their disposal that could thrust them back into contention. Now, like we were saying with Gordon Hayward, I really do think you're right that it doesn't make sense for him to come back unless he really feels strongly he can contribute without hurting his future potential. You know, that's his decision. Yeah, I think this should look like this should look like a Derrick Rose comeback, I think, where he, he was really skeptical of returning and ended up not coming back in that playoffs when the Bulls needed him so desperately. I think it yep. should look like that, but continue. So apart from that, there's other things that can be done. For one thing, we still have a regular roster spot open. Now, we don't have a lot of money to pay anyone with, with a cap situation being what it is. They'd most likely be a minimum player at this point. But there is another tool available, and that would be the disabled player exception which allows the Celtics to take on a player in the last year of his deal uh, or a free agent. They can't have more than one year on the deal left, not even, you know, team option or whatever. That player can be paid up to 8.5 million roughly 
without it counting against the cap. So it won't affect their future, you know, won't, won't threaten to send them into like repeater tax super early or anything like that. Because they're going to have a, a, you know, a pretty heavy payroll for several seasons into the future unless they make some very surprising moves. So they can add a player of, you know, a, a quality player at that level without any kind of, you know, impact on future plans, without any kind of impact on, on the number of players on their roster, particularly considering the fact that they, they keep that one slot open, which they can still use even after taking it. And the best part is, should Gordon Hayward come back, they can still use that player. They don't have to get rid of him. They don't have to trade him. And it doesn't go on to the books in terms of tax paying. So it's basically the only the way it works is there has to be a above average, like a, a strong chance that Gordon Hayward isn't going to come back this season. And if that's the case, then a team of doctors will decide that that player exception can be given. And then if he does end up coming back, you know, in a surprising sort of way to, that they didn't predict, then it basically becomes a free roster spot and free money, a, apart from the fact that, you know, the ownership group has to actually pay us out. So prioritize then, is the priority on getting a free agent for that last roster spot and then applying for this exception? Because if we do this exception first, then we won't be able to afford that last roster spot that's still open? Or like what... I guess I'm not entirely familiar with this stuff. And this is kind of what I rely on you for in a lot of ways, in addition to so many other things, because you're the best, Justin. But <laughs> as far as uh, as far as cap stuff, you're like our go-to guy. But so it, do we have to like plan this logistically of having to do no, these things? Approach? The way the way that the, the 15th roster spot works is we can, we can take on up to 120% of a salary that would still fit within under under the cap. So we can go a little over the cap of who we sign if, if like, you know, I'm, I, I don't remember exactly where we are in terms of the cap. It's pretty close either way, but it's not going like what we do with that 15th roster spot is completely just pretend Gordon Hayward is still on the team. And that is what we do with the, with the 15th roster spot in terms of planning what they want, who they want to fill it. That could go a lot of different ways. We still need rebounding. We still, we still need scoring particularly now even more so you know there, there's an argument to be made that we still need shooting we could as we discussed last week with my, myself and mark look to fill that roster spot with a veteran who can you know kind of help add some guidance to what is a very young team with very little familiarity so some leadership would actually be in my opinion very useful for that slot but this other slot this would probably be something closer to akin to trying to find somebody who is an impact player that can, you know, potentially start. Not necessarily, but potentially. So, like, the person we're going to be getting with, with that last 15th roster spot, odds are they aren't going to be a particularly useful player unless somebody's trying to dump salary, which could happen with the cap environment being what it is. There's a lot of teams out there who are looking at paying the tax this season at the end of the year with zero chance of competition for a title. So that in my mind, that 15th roster spot, that's the only other yeah. major thing that it could be for. Yeah. And I think a lot of us here at Celtics life have been thinking of Gerald yeah. Green as kind of the, the perfect situation for that. Not necessarily for rebounding, 
But because he seemed like he was a really great locker room guy, and he obviously knows Steven's system and made a serious impact in the first round of the playoffs last season. And, you know, he's got that veteran presence and that existence. He knows what's going on. So I, I like Gerald Green. He fits maybe more in the spot of replacing Hayward on that disabled Ooh, I don't, player I don't exception. think so. I think he's, maybe. no offense to Gerald Green, but his on-court production, you know, he can still turn it on sometimes and you can really get some valuable minutes out of him, but. No offense, Gerald Green, if you happen to hear this, but you don't you don't deserve well, eight point five million anymore. Yeah, and that's that's reasonable, I guess. But I, I don't think we're going to find anybody who's going to be within that threshold, or at least uh, what we'd be wanting out of that threshold. Maybe that's just me. I mean, is there anybody that you would fathom fitting that? Well, there's some players out there who are either on teams now that would fit within that range, such as uh, Trevor Ariza, uh, Will Barton. Ursan Ilyasova, they would all be right right within the right price range, and they're on teams that might be able to be convinced to let them go. Matt Barnes, Vince Carter, you know, they're not quite worth quite that much. They certainly would be worth more than, than a veteran minimum at this point. Maybe, no, arguably not Barnes, but Vince Carter for sure. And... You know, Jordan Crawford was just cut this afternoon from the New Orleans Pelicans, so he's another option. He's, he's probably worth more than a veteran minimum contract at this point. Not too much more, but there there's some guys out there. Jordan Crawford's a solid player. He's always Jordan Crawford has always been I've liked him a lot. I've always been a, a fan of his game. And he he came through the Celtics, I think, like four years ago. Very, very briefly. That was great. I believe. Yeah, it was it was like we got through like a trade back when it was like the fire sale of all our players. And I think Jordan Cray Jordan Crawford came through briefly. And I was I was happy about that because I've always appreciated his game, so. And he had been out of the league then and he's been out of the league since. You know, he came back and found a spot with New Orleans, but you know, he could he could be the the very first um second Second pass, uh, Danny Ainge uh, rehabilitation project ever. <laughs> well, so let's, I guess, let's talk about where we go from here then with what we have. So we're one and two now, but we stuck with the Cavs after really, and I think the second quarter and the rest of the first quarter after the Hayward injury were not indicative of how this team is going to play because they were just terrified, I think, of even leaving the ground and like just anything to do with it. They were just terrified. And it's completely understandable. And I in the third quarter, I think, yeah, and I think during halftime, I think Stevens calmed him down and then started making some really great coaching decisions. And we surged back against the Cavaliers and honestly made that an extremely good game. The Bucks, who we played the next night on a back-to-back opening night, which seemed kind of strange. We played the Bucks, and really, we played a good game and then just couldn't contain Giannis, which was the only guy that we couldn't contain. And that's where I... Was it Tatum who was guarding him? I saw Baines kept having to guard him a bunch, but it's like we just didn't have a guy to stop him. That's something Jay Crowder used to be there for, but we don't have that guy, and I think that's what Hayward was supposed to do. I don't think anybody could have stopped. I mean, he, he scored 37 and 13, so it wasn't... He was just locked in. He was unstoppable that night. Yeah. Yeah, and then so we finally kind of saw at least a good 
picture of what we might be capable of against Philly on Friday night. And got our first win of the season. I don't think anybody would have predicted that we were going to be one and two in week one of the NBA season. No. Right? Is that is that just me? No, but I, I am, frankly speaking, I wouldn't have been terribly alarmed even had nothing happened to Gordon Hayward if that had been the outcome. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. would have expected a blowout against Philly at that point. But both of the first two teams we played are teams that have a good to reasonable chance at making it to the NBA Finals. So, yeah. There's nothing, so there's what does it mean to what does it mean to you that we stuck with them and that we, I mean, both games were essentially down to the buzzer? Well, it says to me that, that is, the lack of chemistry was, was so apparent in the Philadelphia game. It was painful to watch. It was one of the worst games I've watched, uh, like professional basketball games I've watched in at least a season, if not longer. There were just... You haven't, you haven't watched many Suns games then. I try not to. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Yeah, about that. Anyways, um, so the Philly the Philly game I think is indicative of the lack of chemistry. There were it was just full of turnovers, full of walks, full of stupid mistakes, and it wasn't just Boston; it was both teams, and it was very painful to watch. And you know, there were some very good individual performances, but there were individual performances. There was not apart from Al Horford really anyone playing with anyone else very tightly. So there's a lot of work to be done there, but this team has a lot of talent and I just do not see lower than the fourth seed, no matter, I mean, I'm not even going to say the words injury again to contextualize my prediction here, which is a very, you know, prediction may be a strong word, but no lower than the fourth seed is, is what I'm seeing with a team that exists now. Just because the Eastern Conference is that bad and there's that much talent, particularly beyond what I expected to see. And I know it's a small sample size, but even lumping in preseason, I'm very happy with what I'm seeing from these young guys and from the new additions. I, I'm not sure with the loss. I mean, again, yeah, and I, I think this is all contingent on how these young guys play. Because the fact that on Friday night, Bain starting meant that anyone who wasn't a guard was a rookie on our bench was wild. Like it's it's insane how young this team is, and the fact that we're in the conversation for the top four spots in the Eastern Conference for playoff picture. But with that being said, there are enough good teams that I could see us falling lower into the playoff picture, into not necessarily danger of missing the playoffs because I don't think the East is that good, but to the point of there should maybe be some concern. Because, and you look at, I think we wrote about it on Celtics Life. 538 says we're going to drop below 40 wins. Oh, I don't think that. I think that's pretty, pretty. I, I know. And I, I, I disagree also, but it's like, this is something that, you know, the loss of this guy who we gave up. And, and this is, this is where the conversation of people saying you gave up Avery Bradley, you gave up Kelly Olynyk, you gave up all these guys, all these pieces that were so valuable to your team for this one guy, he's not going to make a huge difference. It's like, well, that was up for debate. But now it's that we gave them up and we're not getting anything until at least March. If that. So, yeah. And so that is something that is alarming to me. And I, again, I don't think the East is good enough to push us out of the playoffs. No. But with that being said, 
I'm not confident enough to say top four unless we see some like huge games. And maybe it's just too early for me. Maybe maybe in a week, maybe next podcast, I'll be a, a lot more confident. But right now, I'm not there. Well, you know, as other people have pointed out, this is an incredibly new team, only returning four people from last year at all. And one of the people, you know, Gordon Hayward was not on the team last year. But if there's anyone on earth that knows Brad Stevens plays that is not on the team and hasn't left the team, it's him. You know, so yeah, there is a very real risk that we could find ourselves in a situation where we don't have home court advantage. And it's fine, you know, if that is what happens, then it's going to be there's gonna be other things going on. Another another I don't even want to say the I word right now because it's just going around the league so bad, but there's things that could happen. I, I'm going to superstitiously not talk about that. I'm sure most of our listeners can divine what I'm trying to say. Things could go wrong. But keep in mind. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, I, again, I, I would, and I'm optimistic for the most sense. You know, I, I like to, to think in an optimistic way. And I'm hopeful. And again, I, I don't discredit the talent that this team has because it's, it's very clear that there are a lot of really good basketball players with really high upside on this basketball team. And two potential roster spots over $10 million in salary between the yeah. two of them. And the most important thing that people have not really been talking about too much, we've got a guy with a sore knee who is a pretty good player. Yeah. Who hasn't been playing. Yeah. So that's that Marcus Morris. Yeah. So and that's that's something to definitely consider also. And then I mean you look at the fact that we took down Philly who is actually I mean talent wise again pretty solid team that played Washington pretty well in their opening night without one of our other best players in Marcus Smart. So that's and actually I, I I hate to bring up the word that you say but we we do need to talk about these injuries. Because this is league wide. This isn't. This isn't just like the bug, the injury bug that we see. Sometimes like February, where it's just suddenly like, oh man, yeah, there's just a lot of guys who really have lingering injuries because it's the middle of the season. Like, we need to kind of figure that out. That's what the All Star break is for, stuff like that. This is the beginning of the season, and there are like big guys who have gone down. Chris Paul, Jeremy Lin, who's got a season ending. I don't even know what's going to happen with his career. Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, you got. Batum, who's been out since before the preseason, right? Or was it the preseason game one where he had that? Just, that in, in, yeah, it was very early in the preseason. Some elbow, some elbow issue. Derek Rose, Rodney Hood, Michael Beasley, Hassan Whiteside. They got, you got all these guys who have these kind of small tweaks that are keeping them sidelined. And you and I have kind of, you and I have hypothesized about this. So I, I want you to kind of break down what, what we've kind of thought as far as this stuff goes. So disclaimer here, there is no way to prove it without digging up some comprehensive data that, would, frankly, I just don't have the time to do or I would do it myself. Hopefully somebody out there does. It seems to be making the circulations. You know, we were talking about this before everyone in the main main NBA media sphere were really diving into it because, you know, we're conspiracy theorists when it comes to things happening in the NBA. And... I think that in this particular situation, there is a very good chance that tweaking things for the, for the greater good of the health of these players ended up backfiring. And what I mean by that is, as most of our listeners know, 
the the league shortened preseason considerably, knocking two games off the schedule, knocking time like calendar days off the schedule in order to create more space for less back-to-backs with the regular season. And there is very strong evidence out there that there are repetitive stress injuries that are increasing the number of, of injuries. Now, there's some debate as to whether style of play changes like hand-checking and, and things like that uh, have changed a game where that's also contributing. But the, 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 the number of, of injuries, particularly on heavy usage players, has definitely risen in the last decade. And so this is one of the ways that they tried to fix that. What they didn't think about, though, was conditioning. Or maybe they did, but it doesn't seem like they thought about it, because what they could have done with the shortening of preseason and the shortening of the calendar time before the season starts is they could have moved it back. So camp, if not preseason, starts earlier, and then they have more time to condition. So what we've been talking about between us is this idea that players might be trying to go full bore before they're ready to. And as an older dude who still occasionally convinces himself that he can play basketball and then hurts himself and can't touch it again for weeks or months, I really think there might be something to this because when you're not ready to exert yourself as hard as you can, then you try to, it's very easy to twist ankles, sprain ankles, uh, you know, strain muscles, these kind of non-contact or minimal contact injuries. Now, I don't think Gordon Hayward's injury was one of those things, yes. in case you're thinking that's what I'm saying. No. And and that's that's why that's why I didn't drop that name on that list because that was that was different and like I said it was an anomaly and I think that was just a freak accident as I said at the top of the the podcast but something and this is I'm gonna kind of put out two things the first being that it's kind of like to me in a comparison that I made as just a normal human being who doesn't play professional basketball was when I went like to to school. And between middle school and high school, we started like two weeks later in high school. And that felt really strange to my body. Like my body was freaked out in the end of August, beginning of September when I wasn't in school. And that was like a weird thing for my body. The NBA players, especially the older ones who have been doing this for 10 plus years, their bodies may just like be really confused because this is not the time that they, as you say, are going full bore, going all the way playing competitive basketball preseason is different preseason they don't play most of the fourth quarter they don't play significant minutes your star players so and anecdotally most of these guys getting hurt are not the rookies are not the guys who don't have that experience playing in Which the beginning of november point. rather than the middle of october so that that's that's yeah and that's that's my first kind of thing my second note is that what kind of validates this anecdotally for me is after game one, they were interviewing LeBron James and he kept repetitively harping back to, I'm just not strong. I'm not strong enough. I'm not where I want to be. I don't feel like I've got the strength that, that I've had, but I'm going to get there. And that to me resonated in that sense because maybe he has two extra weeks or two less weeks than he usually does to get that muscle under his belt, to get that conditioning under his belt that maybe he just felt a little bit off. And then third point is that these are non-contact. Jeremy Lin went down after going up for a layup and then realized as he was kind of sitting there, like something horrible just happened to my leg. 
Michael Beasley went up for an uncontested three, came down awkwardly on his leg and had to limp off the court. These are not injuries that you see where guys are get hurt and like contact and like jumping for a ball, laying out for a loose ball, going up for a rebound. There are a couple that are like concussions and stuff. Those obviously are not what we're trying to, to link this to. But the fact that these guys are not, I mean, a lot of these guys are durable dudes. Derek Rose being an exception, but for the most part, these aren't guys that you these aren't guys that you see on the typical injury report. And it seems like maybe we can make a correlation. Obviously, again, we, we don't have the evidence to back this up, but looking at the the injury report that we've been looking at for the past the season's only been going on for five days. So we are down to about 70 players now, and it was over 80, which is about double from what I see on on these lists. I use Roto World. It's a fantasy list, and the main reason I use it is, you know, the NBA maintains its own, but it goes with teams, and, you know, wisely, they are a little cautious with who they say is injured, because there's all kinds of reasons why you don't necessarily want to, you know, say that somebody's injured. Like, the Celtics never talked about the fact that, say, for example, Jalen Brown had a wrap on his hand after he collided with Marcus Smart in the play that kept Marcus Smart out. So, they're... they're I'm not saying they're going to trade Jalen Brown, for example, but like the the the, the perception of injury, there's, there's lots of reasons why you don't necessarily want to put someone on the injury list, particularly if you're pretty sure they're going to be playing soon. So that's why I use the fantasy injury because they're, they're a little bit more paranoid. And I like that. You know, that doesn't necessarily make it like a doctor saying this person is injured, but the people we're talking about in terms of like the big names with non-contact injuries, these are all people who are on NBA injured lists and the actual NBA injury list count year to year is something that someone, if you're listening and you want to take the time to do this, I have way too much on my plate to do it myself, but if you put together uh, a study basically comparing the last three or four years. Cause I, I feel like, you know, the NBA changes enough every you know five or so years in terms of how play goes that, you kind of want to account for that as well. You can really come up with some interesting information. So if you're out there and listening to, to us talking about this, please get us the data. Even if you don't want to write the article, get us the data and we'll write the article. I am fascinated by whether or not that something like this is going on. You're recruiting our listeners for Celtics life writing. <laughs> you're just helping. Yeah. Plug in the site inadvertently. Data crunching at the least. <laughs> Absolutely. We need you guys. We need your help. We want to. We want to figure out if this is something. We want to work for the league office. This is going to help us get there. <laughs> um, this is something that I'm not going to take on in, in addition to all my other responsibilities. It's I, just I too think, much. I think. I think we're on to something though, and this is something we talked about on Wednesday. I think it was like right as all the stuff was happening because I, I had seen Chris Paul and kind of that soreness because they also had a back to back. The Rockets. And I was kind of curious about that. And then and Jeremy Lin went down the next yep, day. Yeah. So all this stuff was kind of happening and, and rolling out. And I just, I think I was just joking about it. You, you and I were kind of talking and we were saying, man, there's a lot of injuries. And I was like, they're not used to playing this early in October. And then you kind of looked at it and you're like, actually, maybe this is something. You might be right. Yeah. And so I was just kidding. I was just kind of messing around. And then. No, I think honestly, like we we might be onto something with this, and I think it's really interesting to look at. And uh, we were talking about it with Luis. This is something that the the reason that they're doing this is because the injuries are catastrophic to the NBA in the sense of 
people watching games, tuning in, watching stuff. It's an effort to get rid of the resting players stuff that's been going on that Adam Silver describes as, as, a, as a huge problem for the NBA. And if guys like Chris Paul on a team that Paul Pierce says is going to dethrone the, the Cavaliers, or not the Cavaliers, the uh, Warriors, and you have other guys, Jeremy Lin, who might be making basketball fun again in New York, that's a tall order. This can be a serious issue for basketball if these guys are starting to get these kind of small lingering injuries that aren't necessarily catastrophic, but something that could be detrimental to the league, especially early on in the season. So, my two cents. Yeah, it's it's something that somebody somewhere should be looking into, and I'm pretty sure at least the league is, if not sports writers, sports writers, you should be looking into this. We're sports writers. <laughs> we're sports writers with we're, a we're plate. casual sports writers. Yeah. All right, fine. Well, so let's, I guess we'll, because we don't like using this I word, and, and I think we should try and avoid thinking about it as much as we can. But around the league and around basketball, there's been just a ton of stuff going on, things that we haven't been able to talk about and stuff, and things that have been coming out. We've been overwhelmed with the season and trying to get all the games and stuff. And like I said, it's kind of strange that we had a back-to-back on the first two nights of the season. And we had four games in three days, right? Yep. It was Cavs, Bucks, rest day, Sixers. And yeah, a lot of travel too. It was two road games in, in three games. So kind of crazy about that. But so break us down on kind of what's been going on around the NBA lately that we should know about the Celtics fans. Well... I'm sure some of our older listeners will be very excited that the evil emperor is, at least for the moment, out of basketball. When I say the evil emperor, I, of course, mean Rick Pitino, who just got canned Mm -hmm. with just cause, meaning he's not getting a penny of his contract, without a legal case anyway, for yet another NCAA scandal. And as you guys know, I am no fan of the NCAA organization, but the FBI is behind this particular organization, or it's be organization, this investigation, based on fraud charges. So there is even the possibility that whoever was involved under Patino that was directly handling kickbacks from sneaker companies to the families of recruits, they're looking at actual prison time, not fines, not firing, not vacated wins. And it's calling the whole structure of the NCAA into question, particularly, you know, this is slightly related, not really related to the NBA directly, but the NCAA was also, in the same month, turned around and gave no penalties to North Carolina for the half-decade-long investigation into academic fraud at that university. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I don't know what's going on there. I would really like them to just manage this tournament thingy that they do at the end of the year that I happen to like a lot. They seem to do that pretty good, but they don't really seem to do anything else right. So, other than maybe getting a team fired. Yeah. Their their punishment extremely arbitrary and i i say that as a syracuse fan and UConn. we got compared. yeah it, it's 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 bad how the ncaa doles out their punishments because it's, it's just the most unpredictable thing where you say 
okay, well, Syracuse got this punishment because they wanted to establish an example of what happens when a coach, you know, they have to make the coach responsible if, like, some of their staff are doing things they don't know about. But then the exact same thing happens in Louisville with prostitution and strippers being brought to recruitment parties, and it's suddenly a different situation or something. And then you look at UNC and their classes and stuff. This is a rabbit hole we don't have to get down, but it's just... To me, as a Syracuse fan, it's aggravating, and I'm glad the FBI is behind this. Plus, and you and I, as as uh, UConn and Syracuse fans, can you appreciate the bum end of the stick, Absolutely. I mean, what happened? But we can appreciate Patino being as as like former Big East rivals and stuff. We can appreciate that. So. Yeah, and and you know, just just to you know, let's cut this in the bud and not go too much further in the weeds. But something needs to be done with those guys. Something needs to be done with the NCAA. My obvious solution is pay the players if if not directly then at least through a stipend to cover minimal expenses on top of the scholarship and let them have money in a scroll till they graduate for the likenesses and all this stuff goes away and we never have to talk about it again and rick tino is unemployed it's true that's an exciting concept for celtics fans and also former big east fans that weren't louisville fans there's a lot, of, they, yeah, they, a lot, of, a lot of things to be excited fans, to be about. honest at this point. They are screwed. True. Yeah. Well, so yeah, look, we, if you guys want to talk to us about this stuff, hit us up on Twitter. We will happily debate. Both Justin and I will happily talk to you guys about this on Twitter. Uh, back to the NBA, though. Let's talk about other Celtic stuff, current Celtic stuff. Chris Paul was apparently in discussion was he in discussions with yeah, Celtics or what was kind of going on was that? That he, he, was, like, he said that there was interest and there was mutual interest in him and that's great but I, I just buy it unless he's really that nervous about his legacy that he's looking for you know I don't know maybe he didn't believe in Houston for a hot second or what it was but I mean he could join Boston when the original big three was still here and a trade for Rondo and that didn't happen. So I find it hard to believe he was ever seriously considering Boston. Maybe he was, I don't know. Maybe that's something that he put out there for a lifeline for a trade. If, if Houston ends up going bad, I'm not going to look too far into it, but the fact that he's saying that after all of these injuries should tell people something about what people think of Boston's future right now. The whole vibe that I'm getting from this is kind of like a middle school, like, exactly. oh, that girl likes me. I like her, too. And then it's this weird, like, this everyone's talking about it, but you don't really care. So, and nobody does anything about it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the vibe. And I feel like I'm showing off how young I am right now. I've talked about, like, middle school and high school, like, multiple <laughs> times in this podcast. So I'm going to stray away from that and talk about, like, my employment as an adult. But outside of that, uh, I, I thought that was, that's kind of the vibe I've gotten from it. Because it was like, cool. That that's interesting. We don't have Chris Paul, so why does it matter? You know, he's he's under contract with yeah. the Rockets now, so why why do we care? But it's it's interesting, you know, it's it's cool. And I, I like that point that you make of this shows what people believe this Celtics franchise is gonna do in the future. Because yeah, these super teams of the Cavs and the Warriors exist now and everyone's trying to jump to those. But where are people gonna go next? Where are the free agents gonna be targeting next? And, you know, you got the young teams of like Philadelphia, Phoenix, teams like those who right now are trash, but maybe they've got the future and the Celtics are right in the middle of both of those pictures. And that's an awesome place to be. 
It really is. Kendrick Perkins is another name that some of our Celtics fans might remember. He is out of the league in terms of being on an NBA roster, but he's inked a new contract with a Cavs G League team and a comeback bid. What do you think about that? I, I mean, I don't like that it's with the Cavs, but I, I'm not sure if I believe that he's ever going to make his way back into the NBA. Where was the last time he was? Was it OKC that he was last time he was successful, like in the NBA? Successful, yeah, yeah. I would yeah. say he was. He contributed for them at, at enough of a level where earning his paycheck is more than you know the the, the proverbial fifteenth man locker room presence kind of experience. Basically, a glorified uh, player coach, which you know. I would not be opposed if they just don't find someone they like and they decide they're not going to use his space that they end up signing him sometime towards the end of the season. Because, you know, he's really good at keeping people on an even keel. He, he he was, as much as Doc Rivers, a major part at keeping the Big Three era to each other while they were all on the same team. So, I mean, that being said, we've seen what happened since. That's not an easy thing to do. He'd be worth a vet minimum contract just for that. And that's a valuable role in a locker room, having that guy who I think they're described as glue guys, those kind of players who just they, they find a way to kind of get everybody to stick together, to, to play well. And that's something when I think back to the Celtics two, three years ago, the, the season that Isaiah was traded to Boston, and we surged for the seventh seed in spite of being completely out of the playoff picture. Until really the trade deadline. And then even then we still were out of it. We, we had one of the best second halves of the season in, in recent memory. And that was in part because of just a really fun group of guys who enjoyed playing together. You know, a lot of locker room guys that wanted to, to win and they just made it happen. And I think Perkins could be a piece in this, especially a team that really is all getting to know each other right now. They could use that veteran presence who also is a locker room guy, and Perkins would fit that to the T. Though could. the question of whether he, whether he could contribute is obviously up in the air, and I haven't seen him play in forever. So, Yeah, I really couldn't say either. I will say that if something like that were to happen, with whether it's with him or someone else, it's going to be late in the season because there's a lot of value in keeping that one roster slot open to you to absorb a contract. Now they can actually do it too, so they... There is a situation where Danny Age could use cap space and this this player exception, if it's granted, to absorb contracts and get assets also. So he might be able to uh, he might be able to get some some you know middling picks to second round picks. More glorious, glorious assets. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> you know, just to just to try to tie up some some of the news sec- segments here in a more positive light. There's some opportunity to be had here, too, if it's managed correctly. And if there's anybody in the league that's going to manage an opportunity situation out of such a horrible situation, it's Danny Ainge. Before we jump into our games last week, mm-hmm. I, I kind of, and I, I've always, I've joked about how we should make a what's going on with the Nets pick segment for our podcast. We should. But now it's what's going on with the Lakers. What's going on with the Lakers pick? Uh, how do you feel about the, the Lakers right now? Because game one, it was like Patrick Beverly just destroying Lonzo Ball in everything that he was doing. And then game two, Lonzo Ball destroying everyone in everything that he was doing. I'm sorry, but we don't give credit for people destroying non-NBA teams. <laughs> was that out loud? That was out loud. That was recorded. We have to edit that out. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> 
No uh, offense to the Phoenix Suns, so, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Phoenix, so it's its own thing. But still, was it a double double and almost a triple double? It was double almost for a triple double. On it Friday was night. impressive. He shook off the shadow of Daddy, you know, and yeah, that's good because sure. I don't hate Lonzo Ball. I hate his shot. I really hate his dad. I think his sneakers are ugly, but I respect what he's doing with it. And I want to see the dude succeed <laughs> just so we can have good Celtics Lakers rivalry again. And I think, uh-huh. I think as long as he is a Steve Nash style pass first point guard, he will do very, very well. But if he doesn't find another way to shoot, then he's never going to be a reliable source of offense and against a quality NBA team. Fair enough. So do you think the pick is going to be materialized into a pick this, this off season? That is going to be impossible to say until around the last month of the season. It's really the, I'm just this team just asking based on the two games you've seen. What do you think? Two to five? You think they're that bad? I think that they have the potential to be that bad. <laughs> That's okay. not a very strong. I'm, I'm. You're just not going to get me to make a prediction on this at this this early. I'm looking for hot takes, Justin. The, the hot take I'll give you is. It could happen, but this Laker team is, it's, they've got enough talent where if some kind of craziness happens at West, it is not unthinkable they could challenge for the eighth seed. It's just very, very unlikely. So there's a yeah. really wide degree of variance in what this team might be able to accomplish in the Western Conference. If they were in the Eastern Conference, I would say they were about on the same level as Philly. They were on the same level of variance. So, all right. Well, so. That's that's and that's something that I I'm gonna suggest we do every week of just like what's going on with the Lakers pick slash Sacramento pick is that something we should discuss if we suddenly see the Lakers like soaring I don't know we'll figure that out we'll talk about that later you guys stay tuned we can we can we can do Sacramento yeah. next year and we can do we should still be talking about the Brooklyn pick though because I'm still pissed off at Dan Gilbert for that crap we had to deal with it ruined the end of my yeah. summer. well there's there's our tease for next week's show and also our tease for all of next year's shows as well so we're we're hitting all the teases that we could need listen to our podcast we really like it. yeah okay anyways so our team basketball celtics we played three games we've broken those down as far as like who we played and stuff but let's talk about obviously not the really awful stuff but what were you happy with in game one against the cavaliers if you were happy with anything well I was happy that they bothered to try because, frankly speaking, if that happened to me at work, I would just check out for the dang home. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't even be surprised. care. Find me, whatever. I wouldn't have been surprised Seriously. if, honestly, like someone just decided to leave. I'm in the locker room. You know? Peace, guys. Tell me how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And, and a couple guys. I mean, I think Isaiah Thomas did go back into the – because I think Hayward was in the Cavs locker room initially. And yep. Isaiah did go back and, and talk to him and hung out with him for a while. LeBron went back for a, a quick second. Dwayne Wade went back for a quick second. So, like, there were guys who were going back not to avoid the situation. They went back to comfort this dude who went through just such an awful, awful moment in his life and his career. But, you know, you have those bright spots. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, someone just left. I wouldn't be surprised if fans left after that. I mean, yeah. I, I, let's talk about something different. <laughs> yes. No, my, my happy thoughts were Jason Tatum was sweet. I was really psyched about that. 
Jalen Brown was even sweeter. Like I, Jalen Brown was, gave me hope. Yeah, that was, and then also third quarter coaching moves by Brad Stevens, where he basically ran through Marcus Smart, and Marcus wasn't just taking threes; he was just posting up Kyle Korver. And then like the rest of the third quarter, and then the fourth quarter, Marcus was posting up literally anyone that wasn't named LeBron James and was killing it. I was so yeah. excited about that. That was really cool. And I thought that added so much diversity to the game, which then opened up Kyrie to take threes and get some points in his stat column. And it just opened ten up the floor with assists. the fact that all oh, that was fun. The 10 yeah. assists, yeah. man, that was... That the distribution was, was there. I'm a believer that he is actually committed. I don't know if it makes as much sense with Gordon Hayward gone for him to be as committed to being, you know, a pass-first point guard, but... So far, he has been he's been showing that this is a priority for him, and it remains to be seen whether or not that that is the kind of style of play they're going to keep using him for. I kind of feel almost like he might actually be better focusing on scoring, but that might also kind of you know hinder him once we do have guys. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I kind of agree. There's. I, I, and there's some big question marks over how he's going to play now with Gordon out. And until we see what Marcus Morris can bring to the table, whether he can fill in as kind of like a lesser proxy for that style of play, which I kind of doubt because he's not a very good facilitator, which is kind of, you know, one of the, the aspects that we were looking at Morris for, or not Morris, for Hayward for. There's going to be some issues to iron out. And as much as it's very promising to see that he's capable of doing it, you know, in in a very high stress environment, really, that's about as high stress of an environment as you can reproduce. It isn't a title title game. Yeah, I I think that's interesting and something that I, I'm hoping Stevens will basically just be able to call him. It'll be like, uh, what's a comparison that I can make? It's kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde, but under command of Brad Stevens. Like he'll be able to say, "All right, I want you to be the the scorer, Kyrie, today," or "I want you to be the the facilitator, Kyrie, today." And I'm hoping that he'll be able to just kind of make that call and it will just happen. Maybe that's just way too like hopeful for me, but that's my goal of like what happens this season. But meanwhile, LeBron James trampled the Celtics. Oh, dear Lord. As per usual, you know, that, that's not unusual for us. 29 points, 16 rebounds, 9 assists. It was something like his some hundredth double-double and like almost his like whatever I don't even know some ungodly stat that is LeBron James and all the stuff that he does so you know what else is new I mean 16 rebounds yeah we we did not even that was just wow yeah nine assists 29 points that was that was vintage LeBron that was he was not going easy on anybody for any reason. So the fact that they were in this game, that to me really, you know, like like I was saying during the game, and I am not happy with how that game went overall, but that particular aspect that they were wailing on us as hard as they could, and they still almost lost. That said, yeah. I have some big question marks, particularly with Rose being out for some, some time now, about how this team is going to function the Cavaliers themselves. I think, depending on how things go, considering the age of that team as well, and the injury in general, the, the, the future of the Eastern Conference hierarchy is it's never been more in question in my mind. That's fair. The top of it, I would say. 
Um, but so, yeah, so my kind of major fun takeaways were the crowd's reaction to Kyrie guarding LeBron, which was hysterical. And then also the fact that Kyrie was the one taking that last shot that would have tied it up and sent it to overtime. And I really enjoyed that because of the situation. It doesn't like mean anything as far as like what is going on with this team or anything. Or like, I don't think anybody should take anything away from that besides Cavs fans who apparently want to. But I, uh, I still, I was bemused by those situations and I, I enjoyed that part of the game. As far as the next night went, you know, unfortunately we dropped to 0 and 1, but I, I think every Celtic fan coming out of the first quarter was probably amazed that it was as close as it was. And. Yeah, and so I think everyone just kind of breathed. It kind of took a sigh afterwards and took a breath afterwards and just kind of grit their teeth until Gordon Hayward news came out. And like we said earlier, it was kind of good news. But let's move on to the Milwaukee game. A six-point loss. It was... Not happy about that. And No, and, and, and I... You know, it was Giannis doing Giannis things. And this is this is the question of if we have somebody who can guard these stars. Because so far, those like really, really good three like small forwards, we haven't had an answer for. LeBron and, and Giannis. So that's that's a question for the future. And this, to me, illustrated that. But Giannis, 37 points. Chris Middleton, 15 points. Malcolm Brogdon had some big threes finished with 19 points and still we were in the game all things considered and it was a back-to-back after that gordon hayward night so it's i I was you know i I wasn't really distraught afterwards because we lost the game i I was still kind of recovering from everything that happened on tuesday but just kind of a tough loss all things considered when i was hoping they'd rally and and surge a win especially when it was as close as it was throughout I was really, really impressed with game. just how spread out and competent the rebounding was. I guess when everyone on your team is six foot eight or so, it gets a yes. little easier to rebound. But just about everybody who started had at least five rebounds. And, you know, some people like Jason Tatum, you know, he may have only scored eight points in that game, but he had nine boards. There was there was some it was a very solid spread out effort. I was very happy with that, which is really the only, only like firmly solid positive takeaway I can give you from that game. Major takeaways are that Tatum has been rebounding like a beast. He's got, he had a double, double game one. He almost had a double, double in game two, one more basket, one more rebound. And then against the, the Sixers, I think he also, he also came close. He's been a serious force on the boards. And that's sweet. That that's that's gonna go a really long way, considering that like Terry Rozier and Avery Bradley were our top rebounders last season, and we just desperately needed anything. Now we have Baines, we have Tatum, we have Rozier, who's maintaining that. We've got all these guys who are grabbing rebounds off the backboards. It's gonna go a long way to keeping Extra us in possession. basketball. Extra possessions, absolutely. Yeah, and that that I think was something that was illustrated against the Sixers. Because as you said, it was a really ugly, ugly game, but we won the rebounding battle, I believe. And that ultimately, I think, was was part of what led to that victory. Well, also, Shane Larkin. Yeah, oh, that, and then the just random dudes. 
Jabari Bird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like mean, when, he didn't he's do not much even shoot offensively. He's a two-way. He's a two-way guard, and he is the first person to really get some run that I am aware of. There might be other players out there who have, you know, done more so far in, in the first year that they've existed. But, I mean, he, uh, I don't remember exactly how, but it was close to double-digit minutes if it wasn't, and he only scored three points, but his defense was very good. And if he can do that, he, yeah. can, he can probably burn through his max allowance and make the most money you can possibly make as a two-way guard. Frankly speaking... Two-way contract, two-way player. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You're, You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> it's <laughs> Sorry. all good. I had to chime in with that. <laughs> it was pretty witty, my friend. Yeah, sorry. I, that's how tired I am tonight. Is I'm making jokes like that. But yeah, no, all things considered, good game uh, with the end result, you know? And I've got a friend who's a big Sixers fan now, and he was like really, he was trash talking me before the game. And I, I was worried we were going to be 0-3 by like 10 o'clock on Friday night, but somehow we pulled it out. We're 1-2, so worse things have happened. Well... Anything else you want to touch on before we just briefly cover what's coming up this week? I do want to talk about that rookie battle of Tatum versus Fultz because we did touch on that yeah, in the beginning. Yeah, that's not much of a battle. And to see that... Yeah, exactly. And it's a game. it seems like... And I, I was saying this to my, my friend. Danny Ainge traded and got an extra draft pick and right now it looks like he was insanely smart. It's real early. You know, I mean, his scouting, I guess... He was already planning on saying he was going to pick Tatum regardless of if he traded the pick, but it's like, you got the guy he wanted, who right now is better, and everyone is talking about what the hell is going on with Markel Fultz and his weird-ass shot, and everyone is saying, Tatum is looking really good I mean, for... He's only three games, but he is so playing it's, like an NBA starter. I know, but... And Markel Fultz is bricking... Free throws no, I understand off the backboard. that that is related to an injury, but maybe if he's injured, don't play him. Yeah, yeah. But that gives you bad habits. Don't don't adjust your shot because of an injury. Then you might adjust it permanently. And if you're missing him when you're injured, yeah. you're going to miss him still once you've recovered. This is like this is textbook. I don't play basketball, and this is textbook. Like you can't do those things. This happens in every sport. If you adjust for an injury, you're going to get into those habits, and it's going to be bad. It can also be bad for your body. If you adjust for your injury, then you might injure yourself doing what you adjusted to once you're recovered. So, yeah. So it's it's just like, there's nothing good about Markel Fultz doing this. And I, I don't understand how Brett Brown is letting him justify it. I don't either. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that he's got, you know, about 80-odd games left to work things out. So he may just be a slow starter, but I will not lie. I am very happy that things worked out the way they did. And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of time left to worry about this, but so far I'm pretty confident with what I'm seeing. I, yeah, I, I'm really, really pumped about Jason Tatum along with a lot of the other guys, Jabari Bird being one of them, someone that I didn't think I'd be really that, that hyped about. And I mean, I, I know there are guys who are really, really psyched about Daniel Tice. We've got all these guys that are really kind of exciting young players. And it's it's cool to have them on the roster. I like it. It's it's a fun place. Fun time to be a Celtics fan. 
The Knicks. Kristaps Porzingis is the only... So, against the Thunder, the Knicks only had two guys who scored in double figures. Kristaps Porzingis had like 30-something. And then I think it was Kyle O'Quinn who maybe had the other double figures. Yeah, he's been pretty Some obscure dude. He's not that obscure. He's not, but it's like the Knicks have nobody. Nah. The Knicks are going to be one of the worst teams. And I, I don't understand what the hell Jeff Hornacek is thinking. Willie Hernan Gomez, was he second team all rookie or was he first team all rookie? Honestly, I can't remember. But if you ask me what Hornacek is thinking right now is I don't have to do the fucking triangle anymore. That's probably what he's thinking. Sure. <laughs> he was, Hernan Gomez was on one of those teams. He did not play until the fourth quarter. Like, you're, I don't understand why. I, I, maybe he's trying to, like, seriously win games and he's concerned about Hernan Gomez being a starter for a team that's going up against the Thunder or something. But, like, he's got rookies. They just, they didn't play, I can't pronounce his name, the French point guard, Nidalinka or something. He hardly saw time. It's like the, the Knicks, I'm really, really low on the Knicks. So I, I, I am confident that it should be an easy game. Do you remember if they control their pick this year? That. I think they do. I think they do control their pick this year. They may just be trying to outright tank. Well, but they're not. They're not trying to outright tank. They they would have. They should be given their rookies time if they are. Like the point of, or at least the, the skepticism with Nidalinka, or however you say his name, was that they're not sure how he's going to go against NBA guys, and he's not even getting the run. He's not even getting the chance to do it. It's it's. Do they think they're going to make the playoffs with that roster? Because they're not. I, that's, that's the thing. Is like I, they're starting, and I, I was looking at the minutes. And I'm going to pull him up right now because it was just outrageous what the distribution was on uh, opening night against the the Thunder, and it was. Let like me go point. ahead. Yeah. Let me go ahead and say, like I've been cautioning people in articles this week and in conversations not to freak out if if we went zero and three. I will say that if we drop a game to the Knicks, we should be a little worried because then the schedule gets kind of hard again. We have this week Milwaukee and Miami, and then San Antonio after that. We could find ourselves at the bottom of the East with enough games where it starts to mess with your head psychologically. So that is a thing that I am worried about. I don't think we're going to lose to the Knicks. Don't think I'm saying that. Yeah. But if we did, more so than if we went zero and three, I would be I would be concerned because yeah, well, these, so- these Knicks are a bad team. Yeah, and so I'm going to go through that minute distribution because Porzingis, sure. understandably, had like 38 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot in a game that you're losing, but whatever. The next, Courtney Lee was the next highest, who was the like starting point guard, I believe. Then Tim Hardaway Jr., who was their like huge free agent acquisition, Morgan had 29 Morgan. minutes. Their rookie had eight minutes. Hernan Gomez, second team all-rookie last year, at the very least. I think he was first, but I might be wrong, so I'm saying second. Had only four minutes. Doug McDermott had sub-25 minutes. And, like, the, there are guys. Ron Baker had less than 25 minutes. Like, these guys who they should be planning on building around rather than Courtney Lee and Kyle O'Quinn and Ennis Cantor. These are not guys that they are planning on having long-term, to my belief. Why are they playing them significant minutes when they got these guys they're trying to groom to be serious NBA players? They could be trying to market certain players for a trade, like, for example, Cantor. Cantor is someone I think that could be useful to somebody that has no offense, but 
I, I really question the logic of doing stuff like that just because of the fact that it's going to be really hard to move people this year with a cap being what it is. So yeah, it's really I'm so confused. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm not worried about the Knicks. Long story short, not worried about the Knicks. Milwaukee on the road. I'm slightly worried about the Heat. I think we should be all right with. That's like my upcoming week straight ahead. So I think we should beat the Heat all if we play well. But Milwaukee, I'm worried about. I think they're a good team, and I'm hoping that we can find a way to contain Giannis. But I'm not sure if we'll be able to contain everybody else. So, so we have some predictions for the win total, loss total, at the end of this week. We are for those two and right one. Yep. Yeah. I think two and one for the week, then we'll be three and three. three. Will be the record. Record coming into Halloween. Fifty percent. I'll deal with it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. Uh, we'll sit at five hundred going to Halloween. I kind of think it's more fine. likely we're going to drop one of the other two games. I'm, I don't want to be a pessimist. There's there's still a lot of confusion in terms of what people's roles are going to be, particularly after the injury to Hayward. So. I would not be surprised. Yeah. I don't think going to be against the Knicks. I would not be surprised if he dropped Miami as well as Milwaukee. I do think it's possible for us to win all three. But I think because of – it's just – I'm yeah. not going to predict that. I think your prediction is probably the most likely, but I won't be surprised if we drop two of the three. Yeah, I'm like a, a weekly prediction bracketologist. Right. I'm the Joe Lenardi of weekly predictions. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> now that I've proclaimed myself as as one of Celtics Life Best predictors, what I don't even know what I would be. Seems kind of modest. Who's this Lenardi guy? I've never heard of him. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh yeah. So, anyways, now that I've labeled myself as that, definitely go to CelticsLife.com and read all of our other awesome writers and predictors' thoughts about Celtics stuff, Celtics news, games, recaps, things like that. And check out all the links. We've got cool stuff going on there. So, something to seriously look at. You can get tickets. Yeah, the NBA season is a thing now. Yep. Like, you can actually go to games. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Where else you can go? We're no, longer, we're no longer in the, like, doldrums of summer. It just ended so quickly, and now we're in the midst of basketball season. Full swing. I'll be honest, it didn't even really feel like the, the season ended. There was so much drama over the summer. It feels like they just took a week off, and then here we are. That's kind of true. Yeah, like we never had a shortage of, of stuff to talk about on the podcast. And that was that was pretty cool. You can find the pod on Blog Talk Radio if you want to hear us blather about what happened this summer. The back catalog is up there. You can find it on Blog Talk Radio, like I said, iTunes, Stitcher, and pretty much any podcatcher app that you use. Please subscribe. Yeah, and subscribe. Yeah, we would appreciate subscriptions because that'll help us out. It'll help it'll help you guys listen to our awesome content. And uh, if you like what you hear, we would really like it if you give us five stars because it helps us get seen by anything, other really. people, other team. Yeah, and that, that's, that goes a long way. We just made some changes to try and up our visibility. So if you guys give us five stars, that helps a lot. Shameless plug. <laughs> We're proud. We're, we're, if we, we don't do it, who will? <laughs> yeah, and if you don't like something or have a suggestion, let us know. We we love feedback, comments. I've replied to a few because I think it's fun, and I like to explain myself because you guys don't like me. I don't know. I don't even know. But I like to explain myself and my thoughts. So Celtics Life articles on Twitter, 
tweet at us because we just want to give you guys what you want as far as listening goes and if you think we should change something obviously you guys know better than we do because we're just doing this this stupid thing so we need you guys help yep all right anything else you want to hit on man i am ready for some basketball games where everybody at the end of the game is more or less as capable of playing basketball when they started at the beginning of the game so let's hope we get that this week not just for the celtics but across the league because i want to see some good players playing good basketball it's freaking time yep they'll get there i'm hopeful me too i'm i'm, I'm hopeful but all right cool well, thanks, everybody. Really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Stay tuned for all of our podcasts and stuff. Check out our site. Check out the podcast websites, Google Play, iTunes, stuff like that. It's sweet. We'll talk to you next week. Get well, Mr. Hayward.